0: We welcome you to the Media Ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Let's take a look here at Proverbs chapter 14 beginning in verse 26. And I begin this with a hymn from one of our great hymn writers, Bob Dylan. You may He wrote the best Christian music. I've ever heard. Uh, the words are the best. Now I don't think Bob could sing at uh, anywhere, but <laughs> he had the best words. They were extremely insightful. And one of his songs was, "You may be an ambassador of England or France. You may like to gamble, or you may like to dance." You may be a heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to serve somebody. Serve somebody. I'm my old backup, you know. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Amen. Amen. The wage of sin is death, free gift of God, it's eternal life. The apostle Paul said, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, that's what Paul calls conversion. You derive your benefit resulting in holiness and the end of it? eternal life. For the wage of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. Well, you're going to serve somebody. No one is completely free. You will take a broad path or a narrow path and they lead to different places. And so in verse 26, the greatest thing you can have is in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is you recognize God's position as sovereign. The origin of all life and the standard of all truth. You recognize his creation that there is no um, options on what true life is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, God ordains what life shall be. And he makes his way known by his word, that he has given his word through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. And from that nation in your seed, Abraham, shall the nations be blessed. And so that is where God has made his word known. And his judgments, he that sows to the flesh, corruption, sows to the spirit, life eternal. And so God has the final judgment word. And so this man recognizes those things and he lives in keeping with them because he's afraid to get off the path of what God says is true. He reveres God. Solomon will say that the beginning of wisdom is the reverence of God. Jesus said it is the key of knowledge. That's what he calls it. Is it possible to learn everything on the lower story of nature, of economics, of whatever, know it fully, and still ruin your life? Yes, you can. If you do not understand its meaning, its purpose, and of moral truth. And so, uh, you've probably, like me, forgot a whole lot of your learning. But you can't make it without the knowledge of God. That's where you start. And so, the statement says that in the fear of the Lord, it is a refuge. You never have to worry. Is our day kind of getting crazy? But you never have to worry. As long as I know God, by which he makes himself known, as for me in my house, Joshua said, if you want to go back and go the way of Egypt that you came out of, or go the way of the Canaanites where you're going, you can. You can. Me, my house, we will fear the Lord. And so you have that refuge. You ever watch CNN and want to throw yourself off a bridge? I do too. (laughs) But I have the confidence in God. So me, my wife, my kids, my friends, my fellows, that's why we have this New Testament synagogue where we all come together. you you know where the synagogue came from? In the intertestamental period when Israel was scattered among the nations, they needed a place of focus. As they're surrounded by the pagan, they could have their belief, their truth, their hope, their salvation, and they would come together. And they kept alive the Hebrew language. Well, in the New Testament, that synagogue morphed into something. What would that be? The church. And so it's where we all Keep our compass, is the church. The world does not have a sense where they come together for a moral compass. We do. And so, to this man, he never has to worry. I know where the universe came from, what man is, what good and evil is. I know who God is. His truth has been known, his salvation through his son that he promised through this nation. And someday he will return, and I have a purpose now, and I can die in confidence. So from the alpha to the omega, we are solid. Amen? Man. Uh, And throughout history, whatever controls this controls the culture. If I choose to be an atheist, an agnostic, a pantheist, a dualist, a Zoroastrian, or if I'm going to take my cue from uh, Arabia or India or Russia, All right, then I'm going to make a choice. If my choice is in the self-evident God who has made himself known through nature, through the conscience of man, through his word and just the instincts of man. Paul said he has not left himself without witness, satisfying our hearts with gladness and food in their seasons. The heavens tell of the glory of God. Since the creation of the world, his eternal, uh, invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, understood through his workmanship, so that men are without excuse. And so, Hebrews, by faith we believe that the heavens were created by the word of God so that what is made is not made out of things visible but invisible you trust that because it is self-evident it doesn't have to be proven to you it doesn't have to be put in a test tube it is intuitive and that is the reason that people go to hell they will not they it's not because they are not brilliant it's because they think they are and they have to call god to the bar of their own human reason or empiricism as opposed to the god who is there infinite, holy, knowable, and uh, has made himself known in Jesus Christ. And so, to he that has the fear of God, he has a refuge, and not just him, but in verse 26, his children will, uh, what's it say? Will have a refuge. You know why? When you die, Steve, when you and Rose die and your dear daughter takes over, will God still be there for her? Yes, he will. When she gets ready to pass and she marries some rich Christian, okay, and joins our church. (laughs) When she passes, will your grandchildren have a refuge? Yes. You know why? Because all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. My wife and I, both are the fourth generation on both lines of the Newmans and the Nelsons. We're the fourth generation that come from Christians. My sons are the fifth generation. My grandchildren are the sixth. And God has been faithful all the way back to right after the Civil War. That's where our generations we know of began. He's been faithful to us, faithful to our boys, and faithful to our grandkids. And so, this is your refuge. Do they teach you this in college? No. They will scorn it. But we are, uh, we're Jedis. We go way back to the ancient path where the good way lies And you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm not real impressed with the world. And I'm not real impressed with what they have to, to show us. I'm impressed with my grandfather. And my mama. And Teresa's daddy. And on back. That's what I'm impressed with. And so. As a man thinketh. So is he. Whoever controls meaning, morals, and the reason why controls the culture. If it's Karl Marx, he's got the culture. If it's Gautama, he's got the culture. If it's uh, Muhammad, he's got the culture. If it is the Dalai Lama, he's got the culture. If it's Timothy Leary, He's got the culture. If it is God Almighty through his prophets and his son, then they have the culture. And as a man thinketh, so is he. And so, what's the greatest thing about you? It is the fear and the reverence of God. Look at verse 27. Something else about it. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's a fountain because it's unfailing. Steve, it'll work for you, work for Rose, work for your daughter, work for your grandkids. Worked for your parents? Rose, your dear mama, she was a Wacoan. She was a precious soul. It worked for her. Worked for you. Uh, Debbie, did it work for Revo and Jane? It works for you. And so, uh, the fear of the Lord is a fountain. And it's a fountain of life. Have you ever asked a kid, where'd you go to college? He tells you and you say, what'd you study? What would you do if he said, I studied in life I beg your pardon? You mean biology? No, that's physical life. I studied in divine life. Did you really? There's not a a, a degree on that. There's philosophy, what somebody thinks is life. But a study in divine life, that's called seminary. And it's interesting, in the university system, they always began with the study of theology, especially in England, because they felt these were the guys from the ruling class, and the feudal system, they were those that are going to direct the the house of lords, the house of commons would be directed by them. And so when they went to college, they would teach them all Bible and they would teach them uh, moral philosophy. Now, a lot of the students didn't pay any attention to it, but that was the curriculum was moral philosophy. In time, it got more and more removed where in college, you didn't teach them Bible, you now had a major of religion and you kept it cordoned off. And so, always in our culture, it was felt that if you do not have the knowledge of God, you're lost in space. You better start with that. And it says in verse 27 that you're able to avoid the snares of death. A snare is something that you can't see. It's something that will hold you captive and then kill you. If you don't watch Can the Bible keep you From snares From different moral aspects That will ruin you Y'all remember that great Christian story On the uh, three little pigs They go to build their houses Straw Twigs Bricks These two didn't want to spend the time this one did. What was waiting for him as they partied? The big bad wolf. You don't know your Bibles, but you know Grimm's fairy tales. That's the way we are. And the wolf, I remember in the fairy tale book my mother had that was scared us to death, you know. And I remember this real nasty wolf. Open up, little pig You can huff and puff and something another, but not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Are you coming in? Well I'll huff and I'll puff and I will blow your house down. You remember that? It scared me to death. I just last week I read it scared me to death. That was a good fairy tale to teach your kids. You're going to build on something. Some of you may not want to take the time and you may put up something of straw and twigs. And if you do, there's something out there that wants to eat you. It is a big bad predator. And so they always run finally to the pig with his degree. And he built a house out of bricks and they couldn't get in. I can't remember how the story, I think somebody came out of the woods and chapped him up with an ax or something. Grimm's fairy tales that always ends with an ax, you know, but life is like that. So they, that was a fairy tale. They invented to teach their kids that, uh, what you build on may have temporal pleasures but there's a day coming when life is going to be at your door and it's going to want to consume you. And the guy that took the time, you're going to end up running to that guy's house because he's going to look real smart. And so, and it will keep you in verse 27 from the snares. What's the last word of 27 death. It'll keep you from them. Uh, I have a uh, car. It is a Dodge Charger. Can you ride in it? No, no, you stay away from my car. Okay, it's my fifth Dodge Charger. They're gonna quit making them next year. Did you know that? They're gonna make electric chargers, communist chargers. Okay. (laughs) Mine goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes. And uh, that charger is smarter than me. If I back up, I've got a screen. If I get close to something, beep, 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 beep. I've never had a wreck where I've hit a moving anything. I've hit numbers of stationary objects. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever caved in your garage door? How about hitting an electric transformer in the front yard? Anybody? Yeah, right here. Right here. Uh, how about hitting cars parked behind you at a Bible study? Did that too. How about a jogger? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Uh, university Drive. All right, I'm going to make a right. Check to the right. Nobody. Left oncoming. Nobody turned. Hello. <laughs> he just happened up on me. I don't know his name because I see his face right on my windshield right here, looking at me. He ran off. I said, you okay. He didn't come back though. just took off. If I change lanes, beep, 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 it'll let me know. Uh, if I leave my keys in the car, how many of you ever remember locking your keys in the car? I don't know who invented the deal that goes, idiot, idiot, idiot. Your keys are here. That's what my car does though. So. Back before them, there's a locksmith here in town that I sent her kid to like SMU <laughs> on all the times that I, I mean, I just speed dial and get her out. But my car won't let me do that. The Bible is a 2023 Charger. That's never been spoken in the history of Christianity. And it will beep, beep, it will stop you if you get ready to do something stupid. All right. If you're going to be stupid as a Christian, first you've got to walk past bright stripes on the road, then you've got to walk past speed bumps. On the road. Boom, 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 boom. And then you've got to walk past a cement wall on the road. And that's what the Bible does to stop you. By thy word is thy servant warned. And in keeping it, there is great reward. If you're old, you know what that means. And so the Bible is a fountain because it will keep you from moral destruction. In verse 27, it's not just true for you and your kids, but this is also true for your country. In a multitude of people is a king's glory. It's looking at a Jewish king. When a king walked with God and when his ministers, as David said, uh, I will not allow within my house one who puts his eyes on vain things, an idolater. He will not minister to me. And so in the Old Testament law, you know, God promised Abraham, land, seed, and your seed shall the nations be blessed. It promised them seed like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky, that they would flourish. In the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus 26, Old generation, new generation. It gave the stipulations of obedience that the nation would have a way to enjoy the Abrahamic covenant. Just like with your children, you can't say to them, I walked with God and I've been blessed. Your granddaddy walked with God, been blessed. Eight-year-olds, you walk with God and get blessed. Can you say that to them? No, because they're not old enough. You have to give them rules. So the Old Testament looks at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the, the fathers, and then for the nation that came from them, they're like children. God gives them rules. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 27, 28, don't do this, do this. And Israel was not just a spiritual unity. It's an agricultural, civil, governmental, cosmological phenomena there in the middle of the earth. And so if that le- the leaders, the priest, and then the, the, the stipulations to the nation, their politicians, if they were righteous, there would be no drought, there would be no pestilence, there would be no um, uh, locust, there would be no defeat in battle, it says your, your animals will not miscarry You can't take those and try to transplant them to the New Testament. We're a different kind of entity. But they had all kind of governmental, geographical, geological, cosmological, agricultural promises. And that nation would flourish if they were obedient. Y'all know that? That's why whenever you do a census in Israel, you wouldn't do it unless the men that were numbered, men that were 20 and above... When they were numbered, they had to give a shekel tax, recognizing that their existence was because of God. And you would use that in the upkeep of the temple. Do y'all remember a king who had a census and didn't require a tax? David and God judged his nation for taking his glory to himself. And so the idea is, is that when a king obeys God, his glory is going to be the solidity and the blessing of his nation. Is that still true? I think it is. When you have politicians, kings, governors, that fear God, that there is a blessing on that country. Book of Proverbs will go on to say, uh, "Oh, what is it? Sin is a reproach to any people, but the country that fears God shall be honored. And so, in a multitude of people is a king's glory. Look what God did. When did Israel flourish? David and Solomon. That was the Camelot of Israel. But, in verse 28, in the dearth of people. Anybody got a Bible with dearth? Ever wonder what a dearth is? It's from a Hebrew word that means to cease. And it means the blessing has dried up. The nation is no longer blessed. And when that happens, it is to a prince's ruin. The kid that came from the king doesn't carry it out and the nation is judged. Solomon walked away from God and God said through the prophet, Solomon, I'm taking 80% of your nation and I'm giving it away. I'm going to give you the Southern two tribes of Benjamin and Judah because you took the blessing of what I had done and you tried to apply it to Chemosh and Milcom and Baal and I'm taking it away. My glory, Isaiah says, my glory I will not give to another. And so, whenever you have a a king that obeys God, his nation is his evidence. When you have kings who do not, there is a ceasing of the people. It means the people are always going to be talking about the good old days. Well, he goes on here. In verse 29, he said, let's apply this. You know, it's, it's good for you, good for your kids, good for your country. In verse 29, let's look specifically as to how the individual enjoys this. Verse 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. In other words... Are there occasions in a righteous man's life that things can happen such to make him or her angry? Can that ever happen? Do you ever struggle with anger? Then you struggle with lying if you don't, okay? Because <laughs> I know you do. And so the man who is, has great understanding understands something, That you don't quit trusting God just because times are difficult. Number two, God is still in control when times are difficult. Number three, you don't just obey this sovereign God when it's pleasant, you obey Him always. Or, in verse 29, He that is, my Bible has quick-tempered. It means you are, it means that you don't have any patience. You fly off the handle. The Hebrew for quick-tempered is literally short of spirit. We would say he has a short fuse. He's got a boiling point of about two degrees centigrade. And he goes off, okay. He will exalt folly. When you get mad and you say something you shouldn't, when you're saying it, you don't feel stupid. You always feel good once it gets out. But then when you back up and look at it, it's like three-day-old fish. It smells up the joint. When I was in the eighth grade, you know where this is going. And I was but a wee lad. My mother told me one time, she said, get out and mow the lawn. I didn't want to mow the lawn. I had more important things to do, like reading Spider-Man. And she said, go mow the lawn. And I, st- I remember storming out there. We had one of those mowers where you had to put the cord up in it then wind it around, then pull it. You Remember those? ka 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 and it wouldn't start. And I yelled inside, Daddy, that's more will a start. And he yells back at me. He didn't come out because it was 11 o'clock and he hadn't put his pants on. Okay. So Daddy yells out, Does it have any gas? No gas. Okay. Now, why don't you put some gas in it? Okay. So I go to put gas in it and the gas cap wouldn't turn. That's how I felt right there. I'm getting madder and madder. And then I remember my hand came off and barked my knuckles. You ever bark your knuckles? And that really made me mad. And now, when I get really mad, my senses become very keen. My mind is like a, a well oiled machine. Okay. And I thought, I can't get the camp off this. What will I do? I'll beat it with a hammer. That will fix it. So I grabbed this hammer and I expend all of my wrath. See, I thought the lawnmower was my mother making me do this. And I beat this gas cap to where it looked like a prune. And I knew there was no power that would get that gas cap off. And so I yelled again, Hey, Dad. And he came out. And I remember his words so clear. I still hear them. He said, this will take a blowtorch to cut that off. And I said, do we have a blowtorch? (laughs) No. And by this time, I'm thinking, you know, this wasn't a smart deal to do. Do we have another mower? No. And I heard him say the word, mama, my mother was now coming out. George Patton was coming out. Lavelle was coming out. And I remember when she hit the door, I could see my other two brothers run. They took off, they were like quail. You know, they went over. Cause they, when my mother would get on a tear, She wouldn't just beat one of us. She would beat all of us (laughs) for whatever you have done in the past, like an atonement, like the day of atonement, you know, for past sins. And my mother came out there, and this is the honest truth. From the time she got there, I have no memory. (laughs) I really don't. I can't tell you what transpired. My, My conscience sublimated it. I can't recall what happened. I really need a uh, one of them Austrian shrinks to put me on a couch and talk me through that, what happened. And the next thing I remember, I was 15. <laughs> and, and I was playing football. I, I don't know what happened there. I really don't. I, well, I remember we had a mower. Somehow we got the mower fixed. But that wasn't real smart. I want you to turn to the person next to you and share your story (laughs) of doing stupid. And would you agree with me, especially with men, that when we explode with anger, there's something about that that makes us feel manly. You know, my mother didn't come out and say, you know, it's amazing the breadth of knowledge you have to beat this thing with a hammer. And so you will make yourself look stupid when you do this. Let's move on. In verse 30, we now look at another aspect of life that you will not always be coveting, envious, and clutching at whatever is around you because your life now doesn't depend on stuff. It depends on your relationship with God. You tell me, is this a good thing for us to realize later in life that life is not stuff? Yeah, especially when you get my age and all the stuff you had, you start downsizing, see? So it's only here for just a little bit. And so in verse 30, a tranquil heart is life to the body that when you are at rest, you enjoy life. If you'll go to a hospital, as I have been to numbers of them to see folks, all, when you look at the uh, paintings and the pictures that are on the wall, what are they all of? They're all of nature and of peace they're Thomas Kinkades. You don't see Picasso of dismembered animals up there. No, you don't see Jackson Pollock, that there is no ultimate meaning and order of life. No, you, you see in Kinkades there are houses that are small, but there's light, there's family, there's beauty, there's nature, and there's contentment. And they put your soul at rest. And so a tranquil heart that just enjoys life, it is life to the body. My favorite time, I love to wake up when it's dark, get a cup of coffee, sit down in front of the fireplace, put my feet up, and read and pray in the quiet in the evening time, Teresa and I will sit there. I'm in my chair. She's in her recliner. And we're reading in quietness with Gunsmoke. Okay. You got to watch Gunsmoke or something. And you just enjoy life. Are you with me? If you're a young guy, make notes. You're not frenetic in your your clutching, that stuff. A tranquil heart is life to the body. But passion, and in contrast, the passion is not talking about sexual passion. It's discontent that I have to have something else. Thou shalt not covet. That's the bottom commandment that fulfills all of the earlier To where the most important thing to you in life is you and God and all this stuff. I don't need my neighbor's wife or his possessions or his reputation. I don't have to be criminal. I don't have to be materialistic. I can, like Christ, I can have food and covering. Like Paul, I can have food and covering. You keep it simple. And so passion is rottenness to the bones it's tranquility versus envy, contentment versus coveting peace versus anxiety where you just enjoy life like a Thomas Kincaid book of Proverbs says there's four things that never say enough the barren womb John the Baptist mother desperately wanted a kid and prayed Samuel's mother desperately wanted a kid and prayed. Who else? Samson's mother desperately wanted a kid and prayed. That the barren womb longs for a child, especially in that day. And then secondly, it says the consuming fire. How much wood does it take to satisfy a fire? All of it. It will burn the entire universe. It's never satisfying. So often, lust is pictured as a fire that burns in your members. There will never be a day that the pornographer says, I've seen enough. That the thief says, I've stolen enough. That Bernie Madoff, Bernie, how much money did you need? $200 billion. I don't know about you, but my first billion was enough for me. <laughs> do you need $200 billion? Steve Jobs had two heliports on his yacht. How many heliports do you need, Steve, on your bass boat? Well, one, do? Huh? <laughs> and now it's gone. Somebody else has got it. And so... Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, the consuming fire. How many times does a guy need to cheat on his wife? He'll never be content. Uh, And when your heart is, that life is stuff, how much is enough? It's never enough. Another thing it says is that Sheol is never satisfied. When will death Finally say, I've had enough. Death requires one out of one. With nobody will death say that's all. And then lastly, it says the flesh is never content. An angry man never hits a point that he says, I'm satisfied. A a covetous man never hits that point. And so the Bible tells us to lift your eyes. Seek, he said, uh, These things, the Gentiles eagerly seek. The pagans, they spend their entire lives on this stuff. It's not to be so among you. Men of little faith, seek first the kingdom of God. You seek to be obedient to him and his righteousness. And then these other things, he'll add them to you. He'll give you enough. I started in life, Theresa and I made $400 a month. We didn't miss a meal. We enjoyed life. Now I make like $600 a month. Now Jerry Fountainville told me that's good money and I believe him. I make a lot more than that now. But you know, you still just eat one meal. You put on one shirt, you drive one Charger. Five times. (laughs) Okay. But are you with me? So this text talks about the fear of God for you and your kids. It talks about um, the fear of God delivering you from the snares of life. And it talks about this is not just true with you and your kids in life. It's true for a country whoever has that country's upper story, whether it's the Dalai Lama, Mohammed, God, or Stalin, then that country is enslaved to that, which is all right, unless you have Satan as the father of lies. Now you're in trouble. And so, and it's not just true for these great things, it's true for me. And when somebody cuts me off in the in the when you get off in the access road, all right. It's good for there. And it's good for as you look at your purpose in life. There is never a place in the Bible that a numerical number is given that says this is greed. Or this is starvation. No, it's always your attitude. I know some very rich men that are very non-materialistic. Some of the poorest people I know are the most unspiritual. They could care less about God. And that's why they got themselves in trouble. And then lastly is to learn to, to relax. Let me just summarize this text. And as I go through these, you just check them off. That number one, you need to believe correctly. And what is obviously before you is an infinite personal. It's not Allah that simply is infinite, that has no morality and doesn't even like man. And man has no relation to him. He is an infinite personal God who is Trinity with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Where there is authority and subordination and obedience and love And has made himself known. And so by faith we believe that what is made was not made out of things visible but invisible by faith. Um, The Bible does not teach rationalism or empiricism where you figure out who God is. It teaches evidentiality. That you know he is there. How does your Bible begin? In the beginning, God. Created. Barak, something out of nothing. It's also the Hebrew word for lightning. The heavens and the earth, man in his image. Do this, don't do that, or there's death. Do this, and there's life. And so believe that, all right? Are there things out there looking for your mind? Yeah, that's why Christ has to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So believe Secondly, fear God. That thief said to the other thief, do you not fear God? We're receiving what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. You're about to face the eternal God here in just a little bit. And so fear God. You don't want to get at a distance from him. All right. I remember one time me and Jack Manus. Jack, are you here? Pray for Jack one of our former elders, we were going someplace in Sherman and uh, we were going by a GPS, all right? We had an English woman talking to us. Turn right here, go straight ahead over the hill and make a left. And so we're cruising on along and all of a sudden it went silent and we panicked. I said, we're going to die. <laughs> and that's what happens when you get away from God. You're in trouble. Believe that there's a train coming. <laughs> and trust me. If you wander from number three, read your Bible, get the game plan. Look at the heroes of faith are all the same kind of guys. The villains are the same kind of guys. History moves by the same kind of order. Read your Bible. In thy word is thy servant warned. And in keeping it, there is great reward. Number four, walk with God. Take a look at your life. Uh, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Go to bed at night with a clear conscience amen the greatest thing in the world is a clear conscience if you got time go watch a special on netflix on bernie madoff somehow i missed all of that when it was happening i and this special showed you this guy squirreled away 200 billion dollars by getting people to invest with him and he simply put it in his pocket and he had a group of orcs underneath the 19th floor on the skyscraper in, in, in New York that would manufacture uh, communication with the investors on how many thousands of dollars they were making on imaginary money. How long do you think he did that? What do you call that? Hey, what kind of scheme Ponzi. He did that for 40 years. What did the inside of his stomach lining look like? Knowing that the only way you can get away is you have to die before everybody finds out and hates you. That's the only way. He might have made it except for 2008. You remember that? Everybody wanted their money. They came to Bernie, and he just realized this is the end of the line. Came clean. The guys that were doing his dirty work were two floors beneath him. The guys up here never knew what he was doing. They're just taking everybody calling wanting to invest their money because these guys are sending out receipts that you're making 36K every six months. It's just that they were rich enough. They never wanted their money. All of a sudden, they wanted their money. He said, I'm caught. All these little orcs, he paid them one head orc. You know what I'm talking about, an orc? Those are the little guys down in the dungeons that are doing your dirty work. He paid this guy $4 million a year to lie. See, he bought him. He owned him. And they finally caught him and he owned up. They gave him 150 years. That's life. His one son hung himself two years later on the day that he was arrested as a statement. The other son died of cancer. He said, my brother died quick. I died slow. His wife lived out of the back of her car. Uh, he had four houses and like a yacht, and they just had to take these, sell them, split them up, and pay to everybody. He had 5,000 clients that lost everything, some of them. He moved to Palm Beach because he was Jewish. What is Palm Beach full of? Jews. And he would make friends with them and get their money. When he died in prison, I think he died in prison. They cremated him. Jews don't cremate. They cremated him. You know where his ashes are? Nobody knows because his kids wouldn't take him. His wife wouldn't take him. And his wife has never seen her grandchildren because she stayed loyal to Bernie and her sons withdrew. She'd never seen her grandkids. What horror that he went through for, and for what? For a house in France. For a house in Manhattan. Lordy. I think about that every time I want to make billions. You know? <laughs> so, walk with God. Also, live within your means. Some guys can make a lot of money, it's not equal. Some of us go hand to mouth. That's okay. But live within your means. Don't try to put on airs on how much you got. Enjoy, that's your next thing. Enjoy the life you have. You got coffee, you got Dr. Pepper, you need an addictive substance, okay, that you can enjoy. You need uh, gun smoke or something that you can enjoy. You need to enjoy reading. You need sitting on a porch. I had a shrink once tell me, that America produces more depressive and anxious people in the world than anybody else. I know because I was one up. And he said that in the way God's rigged it, he's telling me this. He's not speaking spiritually, he's speaking medically. The earth turns on its axis in front of a fixed point. And so you got light, 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 dark. And you're meant to shut down. He said everything shuts down. He said, there is no creature that does not rest in the dark unless you're a nocturnal animal and you sleep in the day. Mosquitoes need eight hours. Matter of fact, he said, there's only one animal that does not sleep. You know what it is? It's a great white shark. Because if they stop, they don't have gills and they will drown They have to be constantly moving. I remember him saying to me, it's not that they're vicious, they're just mad. (laughs) They're always up. I'm gonna eat somebody. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) okay. If you're gonna be a shark, make a note on this. What you gotta do is go to sleep and wedge yourself between a couple of boulders where the current can run through you and then you can get you a couple hours. (laughs) Then you get loose, you head to the coast and you start eating swimmers, all right. (laughs) So, enjoy life. This shrink said to me, Steve, he said, he said, uh, you're meant to when the earth turns, you start producing, is it melatonin? And you start going to sleep. But you don't go to sleep maybe until about 9, 30, 10. You're meant to sit on the porch. Before there was uh, Henry Ford and Edison and Rockefeller to make cars and electricity and oil, you're meant to sit on the porch and darn socks and sharpen the plow and drink lemonade and pay mumbly peg. And people down the street walk in in the dark, say, how you doing? They bring a mandolin. You got a Jew's harp. And you just rest and you read. He said, you always hear about Lincoln walking six miles to get a book. He said, everybody did that. Greatest thing in the world is if you had a novel and you could just read. He said, man is meant to do that. And he said, America has turned night into day. You got a daytime and a nighttime schedule. And you run down. Pretty smart. I gave him my schedule. He said, give me your schedule. I told him he was really good. He goes, no wonder you're crazy. <laughs> he said, I'm crazy ta- listening to you. He said, you can't do that. You got four, jo- four jobs. You got a rest. And so I did. So keep looking. Number something or other. I forget. Raise your sights there are some things more important than just making money. And that's the kingdom of God, the Bible, and loving those around you. Number whatever, make sure your family is okay. Amen. I made it, my, my wife and I just made a commitment. We would never have our sons hate God because of, or because of the church because they took their father. So I was there for them, had fun with them. Uh, and the best thing you can do for your family, you are ready? If you're a man, love your kid's mother in front of them. If you're a mother, respect your kid's father in front of them. If you do that, you can almost violate every other principle of child rearing and get away with it. If you do everything else and don't do that, they will go away to SMU and become atheist psychologists. They really will. They will count everything as hypocrisy. And last of all, all the things I've told you, do them continually. Don't do them here and there. Christianity is a life of a personal relationship to an infinite God. It's the ideal idea. Martin Luther said the thing that inspired him most of all the messages he heard was a sparrow outside his window. He would wake up in the morning and sing. He would go to get his food through the day. When it would rain, he would come and fluff his little wings. And then at night, he would tuck his head under his wing and go to sleep. He said, that's the way you live. Father in heaven, thank you for a morning of worship, of singing, of listening to songs sung, sung better than we could ever sing them. And just to rejoice in what you've done, just through little pastels of listening, singing, of learning and laughing and rejoicing that we just get a closer picture of who we're going to see face to face. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully as we are fully known. We'll be face to face. If there's someone here that is actually going to attempt to jump the Grand Canyon on their own, to stand before a holy God with no assistance from one who died and rose for them, God open their eyes to see what's there, and we'll ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.